I can't remember a time um, struggling um, to figure out how to teach a text than I have this past week. Um, I just kind of realized Thursday's the day that I usually sit down to write and to kind of put this together. And I realized um, I don't have anything to say. And this is not gonna be pretty unless you come through um, for me, God. And so I just wanna kind of let you know before we get started, I have a lot more um, questions about this text than I do answers. Um, there are very few things about this text that I'm gonna be able to explain this morning. So I hope you're encouraged by that. Like, I know that's what you came in expecting this morning. Um, uh, but I will say this, I think God has shown me this really beautiful truth, this one big idea from the text that, um, that Matthew or March, we're not in Matthew. See, that tells you how far I am from this text. But um, Mark chapter nine, um, this kind of one big idea has been jumping out at me all week. It's um, that the heart of God, the father, um, is to show us fully and clearly Jesus' the son. That if you get nothing else um, from this morning, I hope you leave seeing this this morning. I hope you leave believing this like deep in, in your heart, deep in your bones, that, that the heart of God the Father is to show us fully and clearly who Jesus' the Son is. That the, our Father's heart is for us to see Jesus um, for us to know Jesus, for us to listen to Jesus, to love Jesus. And so this morning we're gonna read through um, this text and I wanna kind of give us just three words to help us kind of structure uh, as we're working our way through this. Um, we're gonna look at the Father, we're gonna look at the Son and we're gonna look at the followers. And so if you're a note taker, you can write those things down. If you're not a note taker, that's okay as well. Um, um, Father, the Son this, uh, and, and this followers. And so I wanna to read through our text starting in verse two. And hear what God has to say for us. This is Mark chapter nine, starting in verse two. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James and John with him. And Jesus led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. And there Jesus was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And suddenly when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. This is the word of God from Mark chapter nine. It's a pretty strange story, isn't it? Jesus takes three of his followers up a mountain He's transfigured before them. What does that word even mean? Have you ever even heard of that word outside of church before? Suddenly Jesus' clothes become dazzling white. Moses and Elijah show up on this mountain. Who are they? What are they doing here? God speaks from a cloud. And then as they're leaving, Jesus tells them not to tell anyone about this. This is a strange story. There's a lot of weird and confusing stuff going on here. And we're gonna look at some of these things. But the first thing I want us to think about this morning is the father. The way we see the father in this story. 
I love what he does here. It is so beautiful. We're gonna see this this morning that throughout this story, God the Father is gonna consistently want to show us and to reveal to us and display to us who his son is. And he wants his disciples and he wants us to understand what he thinks about his son. And so I go, I was reading this this week and I just kept thinking, man, the picture that we get of God the Father here in Mark chapter nine is so beautiful and so encouraging and so relatable. And this is what I mean. This is what happens in our context, in our culture all the time. It just looks a little bit different. We see fathers, we see mothers, we see people doing this all the time. It's it's why uh, when, your kid do some, when your kid does something cute, you know, they smile or crawl for the first time, you, you take a picture of it and you put it on Instagram. Or, or when you're out on a date with your girlfriend or your wife or your boyfriend, you're like snapping a picture of them eating this crab leg. And it's like this, everyone's like, why did you put a picture of them eating that? Like no one, um, or you take a picture of your nephew who hit his first home run. And we do this all the time that we love for the world to, to know and to see these people that we love. We long for, for the world to, to see these people that we love, to know what they're doing. And I think in a, in, in a way, this is what we see our, our father doing, God the father doing here in Mark chapter nine. It's like his giving us all these pictures of who his son is that over and over, we're gonna get these glimpses of, of who Christ is clearly and fully. And he's gonna remind us over and over again what he feels about Jesus. I love this because God the Father is so pleased with Jesus' son. That the Father knows how special and wonderful Jesus is. And he's gonna keep giving us these pictures because he desires for us as people to see him fully and clearly. This story strange and confusing. Jesus leads Peter and James and John up this mountain and it says that he was transfigured before them. And we're gonna get to that word in just a minute, but the thing that I want us to be aware of about that word is that in the original language, it's in the passive form, it's not the active. And so what that means is that this transfiguration is something that's done to Jesus. It's not something that Jesus does himself. And I think that this is a, a mind, like this subtle detail that most of the time we just skip over. And the reason I think it's important for us to understand is because God in this story is intervening in a powerful and an unprecedented way. That God is doing something powerful here because he longs for Peter and James and John to understand something about Jesus. So this word transfigured in the original language, it's the word metamorphosis. When you think about something going through the process of metamorphosis, you think about a caterpillar changing into a butterfly, right? You think about something changing completely, becoming completely different. And so this week uh, I realized like I couldn't even get my mind, I can't even begin to get my mind around what was happening here. Dave and I were talking, he's teaching over at the cannery this morning and we were just talking. I'm going, man, why doesn't Mark give us more details here about what this was like? As Mark is like sitting down and writing down this story, it's like he tells it so matter of factly, like it's not a big deal. We walked up a mountain and we were alone and then Jesus was morphed and we had a peanut butter sandwich. We talked about football and it was a great day. It's like, wait, what do you, he was trans, what? 
And I think God was, was showing them something. He's inviting us to see something about Jesus in this story. Something unprecedented, something powerful. Mark gives us this detail that Jesus' clothes became dazzling white. Whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And I love that detail. Because I think one of the things that this story is trying to teach us is that what God does here, man is not capable of doing. I think it's interesting that the only detail that they could share with us, it's not what his face looked like. Like, aren't you curious as you hear that? As as Christ Jesus was transfigured, as he was metamorphed into some different appearance, became something different in this moment, aren't you curious what his face looked like? And Mark doesn't tell us like what his eyes were like. He doesn't tell us how big his biceps were or what color his hair was. The only detail that he could give us is that his clothes were so bright that there isn't a bleach strong enough on earth to accomplish that. God was showing them that there is something different about Jesus. And what God was doing in Jesus was something special. It was not of man. And man was not capable of doing this. And so what was happening in this moment, this idea of transfiguration is that is that God was taking off the mask of humanity. That God was allowing Peter and James and John to see the glory of Jesus. uh, To see the power of Jesus, to see the divine nature of Jesus. God was inviting them to see that, that Jesus was not like them. And I just kept thinking it's so beautiful because It was a father's heart for them to see Christ. It was a father's heart for us to be people who in this life in Nashville, Tennessee, living in 2015, that we see Christ. In all this glory, in all this power, that he's not just a peasant carpenter from Nazareth, that he's not just another man that there's something different, there's something glorious, there's something exalted about the very nature of Jesus Christ. And it's the Father's heart for us to see this. It's the Father's heart for us to know this. I really want us to keep looking at at God the Father. Let's look at verse seven. I think this, this verse is so crucial for us. They're on the mountain. Jesus has been transfigured. The veil is pulled back. They see him in all of his glory. Verse seven, it says, a cloud appeared and covered them. And a voice came from the cloud. Listen to these words. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. I want us to notice that God doesn't say to Jesus, you are my son. Look at your Bibles, what does he say? Say it out loud, what does he say? He says, this is my son. And I go, do you see what's happening here? Like, this is an introduction. (laughs) That the creator of the universe, the, the one who is making our hearts beat, who's making our lungs work like, the one who gives us the ability to hear and see the the God who thought of us before time began. 
He's speaking to these men. He's talking directly to Peter and James and John. And I hope we see here the the love of a father. This is a way a, a proud parent acts. I know you guys are are tired of hearing me talk about my kids, Finley and Jones, and uh, there will be a day when that comes to an end. But right now, when I can talk about them and embarrass them and them have no clue that I'm talking about them, I'm gonna live this up as long as possible. Um, But it's why I talk about them. It's why I tell you over and over again about my little girl, Finley, my son, Jones. Because I love my children. Um, it's one of the things that brings me um, some of the most joy in life. Like every Sunday morning, Courtney gets early with the kids and I go out to the car and I'll bring Finley in while Jones is finishing up his nap. And I love like walking around and introducing you to my kids. Like I love you like getting to see my children. And there's something uh, about like this moment of, of, of the father showing us his son, speaking these words to the, the, the followers that, that this is my son whom I love. I was thinking about what this would have been like from the father's perspective. You know, the reason that we were created, every single one of us, was so that we would know Christ, that we would become reconciled to God through Christ. That, that you and I would not live a day of our lives like wondering if he loved us, that we wouldn't live a day of our lives like being veiled to, to who Christ is, but that you and I would, would live our lives understanding the fullness of who Christ Jesus is. Anyway, that's why God sent Christ. That's why God created us. So there would be this moment where we would come face to face with the, the living Lord Jesus Christ. See him for all he is that we would know how much he loves him. I remember the very first time um, Finley met Jones at the hospital. I've shared this story here before, um, but I was thinking about how applicable it is for, for our text today. I remember, you know, the, the pregnancy process, Court's belly's growing and Jones is growing big and strong in there. And we were trying to, to communicate to Finley what was happening. You know, hey, you, you've got a little brother and he's growing in mama's belly. And, you know, of course she understood that clearly and perfectly. And so, um, but I remember like we, we, we told her about it. And, but there was something different when um, Court was holding Jones in the hospital bed and and I went and got Finley from the waiting room and we walked in and she's holding my, my little finger and we're, we walk up to the bed and I pick her up and for the very first time, she sees Jones. And she looks at him and her eyes light up and she has this big smile on her face and she says, Bubba. It's like one of the best moments of my life. And I think about what this moment would have been like for the father as his followers see Christ. He brings, to this, brings them to this moment that they were made for. I kept thinking about how very few of us relate to this story. That probably none of us have had moments just like this. And if you had, I, I, I wanna talk to you afterwards because I'm very curious. Like, um, 
And so often we read stories like this and we go, man, what a cool story about what God did. But what in the world does that have to do with my life? The things that were true of God in this story are still true of God today. God longs for us to know Jesus fully and clearly. And we we might not have moments where Jesus is metamorphed in front of us, but we have and we will have moments where we understand that God wants to show us Jesus so we can see him for who he fully is. Think about one of my friends that is a part of our church and moved here a couple years ago and he wasn't a Christian got interested in this girl and they started dating and and she just is this devoted follower of Jesus. And they got in the relationship and she just kind of realized, oh, this guy's not a Christian and she still like loved him. She had this kind of heart for him and um, they decided to kind of take a break and they realized, man, this isn't going to work. Like if, if I'm pursuing Christ and you're not. And so he just spent a, a, a season just seeking God, like, praying and reading and pursuing the heart of God. And it was this, he came to this moment where he realized, man, this isn't just a a bunch of foofoo. This isn't a bunch of made up garbage that there is a God and he loves us and he has come to, to save us and to bring us into greater clarity and fullness of who Christ is. And so this amazing moment happened where this guy moved from England to the United States, met this girl who is a follower of Jesus and he wasn't, they broke up. He became a follower of Jesus. And I go, I, I think if we, we look into our lives, God doesn't always bring us up the mountain and, and peel back the curtain, but so often he uses people in places to help us see Christ more clearly, to help us see Christ more fully. It's a father's heart for us to know Jesus. I want us to look at Jesus' son In verse four, right after Jesus has been transfigured, it says, and there before appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. I don't know what's going on here. (laughs) I did a lot of studying this week, left more confused than I left with clarity. Uh, But I wanna share a couple of things. Moses and Elijah were two of the most beloved, two of the most important, respected people in the Jewish people's history books. Go back and read the Old Testament, read the book of Exodus, read through um, Kings and Chronicles. Um, Very few people like Moses and Elijah. Uh, But here is the thing about both of them. Um, They weren't perfect. Uh, They were far from perfect. In fact, if you go back and you read in the book of Exodus about Moses' life, you'll understand that early on in his life, he killed a man with his bare hands. And then he tried to cover it up. Um, Moses' marriage um, was crumbling at one point in his life. The last thing that we know about Moses in the book of Exodus is uh, right before he died, he was disobedient. that kind of the very last mark in his life, the very last thing that you see written about him is that um, marked by disobedience. 
And what I love about this story in Mark chapter nine is that we get a picture of Moses, we get a picture of Elijah, and they're alive. And I think it's this picture of the realness of the resurrection. It's a picture of the hope that awaits us. It's a picture of the power of the grace of God. That these two men, their failures did not overshadow God's faithfulness. God's mercy. And I go, man, as I was reading this this week, it should give us a confidence in the mercy of God. I love that after God was finished speaking, see this in verse eight. As soon as God gets through speaking to Jesus, speaking to Peter and James and John, Moses and Elijah disappear. And it's like he's wanting us and he's wanting them to understand that although uh, Moses and Elijah were incredibly important for the disciples and for us, the only one worth looking at is Christ. You see, God in this moment was allowing them to see his grace. He was letting them see the realness of the resurrection. He was letting them see how beautiful and different Christ is. And I want us to think about Jesus for a moment here. I think the father was, was showing and reminding Jesus what lay before him. I think in this moment, the father was reminding Christ, the body that he would once again be clothed in. Reminding Christ, the, the people that would be in the kingdom of heaven. And I love this because God shows up and he speaks his love to Jesus. And then in verse nine, it says that Jesus leaves a mountain. And I think this is so important for us to understand that, that Jesus had such devotion to the father. He has such care and such love for us that he left the mountain. Think about how significant that is. You see, Christ knew that, that this moment, as powerful and as real as it was, it would not be enough for the disciples. You see, Christ knew that they would still fail him. And that's why this moment is so important. Because Christ understood that in order for his disciples to really change and to really get it, in order for us to be people who really change and who really get it, that Christ would have to die. In order for us to understand who Christ really is, we'd have to see how much he really loves us. We'd have to see just how far Christ was willing to go to claim us. And so I invite you to fix your eyes on Jesus in this moment. Fix your eyes on Jesus. The kind of man he was, the kind of savior he is. That his whole life was marked by devotion to the Father, living for the Father's glory, thinking about what it would be, what it would result in for us. And I think this has huge implications for us. I think he doesn't just want to give us glimpses of him. 
He wants his full life's work to change us, to claim us, to save us. I'm gonna unpack that a little bit more as we move into the third movement. We looked at the Father, we looked at the Son. I want us to look at his followers just real quick. I love verse two where it says that, that Jesus took them up the mountain and I think that's so important. It was Jesus's idea, it was his prompting and I think this is powerful because not only did the Father want the disciples to see Jesus, Jesus wanted these guys to see him. 11 verse nine, where it says that, that Jesus is there walking down the mountain. He didn't want them to tell. And this is crazy. This is absurd. They had this amazing moment where they saw the beauty and the realness of Christ. And then Christ says, hey, don't tell anybody. And I think what that conveys to us is the intimacy, the friendship, the love and trust that existed between Jesus and his followers. You know, this is what we did when we were pregnant with Finley. Um, sorry to have so many kid analogies this morning. Um, but I remember when we were pregnant with Finley in those early days, we only told a, a few friends and only told some of our family because we knew that some of our people in our family had big mouths and we didn't want it to get out. And so um, we knew it wasn't time to share with everyone. But it was too good of news to keep to ourselves. We had to share, we had to let other people in on our joy, on what was actually going on. And I think that's this moment that is happening here that, that Christ, uh, the veil isn't ready to be torn for all people to see, but Christ wanted his disciples to see who he is. He entrusts them with his full self. We see the love and the intimacy and the trust that Jesus has for his disciples. And I just kept thinking, man, every single one of us, every single one of us, if you haven't already, we will have these mountaintop moments in our lives. Let's pull this into our lives. Every single one of us are gonna have these moments where we're gonna understand that because Christ loves us, he reveals himself to us. We're gonna have these moments in life where we're gonna see him more clearly. We'll have these moments in life where we understand his character and his love and his power more fully. I want you to think about your own life. I invite you to think about a time where, where you started to see Christ more fully. Maybe it was a moment at church camp growing up. Maybe it's when you moved to Nashville. Maybe you're on the way to work one morning. Maybe you're reading scripture one afternoon. When you think about a moment in your life where Christ became more clear to you, where Christ wasn't just some distant being that you showed up on Sunday morning to sing to in hopes that he heard you in hopes that he cared. Think about a time in your life where you realize that the God of the universe actually is alive. He actually loves you. He actually has come to save you. What's up, Brian Schroeder? <laughs> I remember um, one of these moments in my life um, as a sophomore in college, um, Parents had just decided to get divorced. 
I was driving back from Murray, Kentucky to Nashville and I remember just kind of the reality of divorce had sunk in. I remember it was my birthday and um, my mom walks in and she gives me a birthday card. And up until this point in my life, the previous 20 years, it had always been, hey, happy birthday, son. We love you. Love mom and dad. And uh, this was the point where I open up the card and it says, happy birthday, son. I love you. Love mom. And it just hit me like, oh yeah, this, this sucks. And um, this is a new reality of my life. I remember getting in the car, getting my truck and driving back to Nashville. And I don't remember crying um, as much as I did in that two hour drive on the way back to Nashville. Um, But I remember it was in the middle of that, that, um, that Christ showed his concern for me. And I think up until this point in my life, I was just a really good old like Southern Christian. <laughs> Read my Bible and prayed and I went to church and there was something about this moment that started to shift to see that, oh, there, there is a God. And I remember just sitting there and just being overwhelmed with the presence of God. And I can't even explain it. It's kind of one of these moments where that they couldn't put words to what was happening. There was just something about the realness of God that, Think about a moment in your life where Christ became more clear, where his power and his presence opened your eyes. The reality is that this will be the story of our lives, that he's gonna take us to the mountain because he longs for us to see his glory but he never leaves us on the mountain. You know those moments where your heart's just locked in with God? Maybe for some of you, you're you're early morning risers and so you get up at 4.30 and you spend an hour in the word of God and there's just something about that moment. Isn't it true that when your heart's locked into God, you never wanna leave? You don't wanna go sell insurance. You don't wanna go design. You don't wanna go take pictures. You just wanna sit in the presence of God. You ever had a moment where you're just so enamored with the person of Jesus that you didn't want to leave his presence? And Jesus leads them down the mountain. I go, why did he do that? Peter seeing the glory of Jesus. Peter seeing the hope of the resurrection for what awaited them in heaven in verse five said, Jesus, this is awesome. It's good for us to be here. Let's stay here forever, Jesus. I'll build a house for you and Moses and Elijah. And yet Jesus took them back down. Um, We are made for the mountain. Um, We are, are mountain people. We are made to be people that see Jesus in all of his glory. Uh, We are made to to live in the kingdom of heaven with other redeemed sinners. And we will be there one day. But until the return of Christ, until death and Satan are fully defeated, 
there's work to do in the valley. And the reason that um, Jesus didn't stay on the mountain and the reason he didn't let them stay on the mountain uh, was because in the valley there was the cross. Uh, In the valley there were people in desperate need of salvation. And what I love is um, in verse 10, the disciples still didn't get it. Uh, We're gonna see this in the next few weeks as we keep journeying through the book of Mark. The disciples still failed. Peter's life, um, just a couple weeks when it's on the line, he's going to cut ties with Jesus to save his own skin. In a couple weeks when Jesus is arrested and crucified, these three men, Peter, James, and John are gonna scatter. Think about what they had seen and experienced. And yet they still didn't get it. They still failed to be faithful to Jesus Christ. And we relate to that, don't we? Uh, Just think about the things that we've seen and heard from God. And yet are any of us flawless? Think about these moments in your life, the mountaintop moments, like have you been like um, sin free since that point? Do any of us have it all together after these moments? I think that's why the story is so applicable and so powerful. Uh, This story is primarily about a God, our God, who longs to bring us into a more full and clear picture of who his son Jesus is. Uh, This story is about Jesus' son who knew that glimpses of his glory wouldn't be enough. That in order for Peter and James and John, in order for Matt and Kristen and Don and Mike, uh, in, in order for every single one of us to really become on this earth what God desires for us to become. Um, Christ would have to die. Uh, This is a story about the followers um, growing in their understanding of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So what do we do with this story? Uh, I know that we come into this place in a variety of different places. Um, If you're not a follower of Jesus, I just, um, I want to invite you um, to step into life with Jesus Christ. Um, That no one will love you. um, That no one will care for you. That no one will comfort you and empower you and fill you and no one will change you. And no one can save you but Jesus Christ alone. So no matter what it is that you're looking for fulfillment and salvation and pleasure from, there is nothing in this world that will satisfy you. I've tasted and I've seen along with the other followers of Jesus in this room that Jesus Christ is worth the entirety of your life. And I invite you to him. He died to save you. He died to deliver you. He died so that one day you would stand face to face with God the Father in the kingdom of heaven and you would see that this life, that the suffering and the heartache and the pain and the struggle in this life was worth it. 
And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I invite you. Become his follower today. Um, here in just a minute, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. Adam and Savannah are going to sing and lead us in three more songs. And if you want to become a follower of Jesus, I just invite you. There are going to be some men and women over at the Respond banner. And if you want to give your life to Jesus this morning, you have no idea how or what that looks like. We have people here to help you. The rest of us in this room who are followers of Jesus, we will celebrate with you. And I just, I promise you that, that we will walk through life with you. Um, the ups and downs, the good stuff and the heartache, you are not alone. I invite you as someone who's seen the risen Lord Jesus, give your life to him. Uh, for those of you who are followers of Jesus, in just a minute when we stand and sing and take communion, I wanna invite you into to, to three things. And I invite you to pull out your phones and to write this down. Three things that I think that we can do with this text this week. The first thing I want to invite you to is to be alone with, with God. Do you notice how the story started? It was them and God. Uh, I think that for about the past year, this has just kind of been a, a hit or miss um, discipline in my life that that there have been times, there have been seasons and weeks where I'm really good about being alone with God and there are a lot more times and seasons and weeks where it's like far behind on my to-do list. I was talking to my brother-in-law a couple weeks ago and he told me, he said, man, I just kind of asked him about his day and I said, hey, what does your, your day look like? What does your job look like? He says, man, I get up at five o'clock and from five to six, I just spend time with God. And it was one of those moments where I realized, oh yeah, that, I've not been enjoying God like that. And, and it wasn't a, a time of a moment of condemnation or shame. It was just one of those moments where I go, man, the, the times in my life where I, I set aside time to be with, alone with God are like the most satisfying and joyful times of my day. At the times where I, I press into his heart, where I open the word and read, the time where I, I get on my knee and I pray for you and I pray for my coworkers and I pray for my friends that don't know Jesus for the most satisfying part of my day. And I just invite you, if you're not being alone with God consistently, just do that. Do that today, do it every day. And don't be legalistic about it. I go, man, this is something that, that benefits us, that God longs to reveal himself to us in these moments. If you don't know how to do this, I, I invite you to, to get your phone and to get the Bible app. And they have all kinds of uh, year through the Bible reading plans. Start your day and, and read scripture. Spend some time just praying for your coworkers, praying for your family, praying for your friends, praying for our church, praying for the city. Enjoy God, be alone with God. Second thing. I'm trying to think about how I want to word this. Um, we follow Christ back down the mountain. Uh, and what that means is that um, as the people of God, um, we aren't just made for, for Sundays. And we're not just made for our quiet time, our alone time with God. That as the people of God, we follow him back down the mountain where there are real people with real needs. Uh, and I wanna just invite you to, to write down this question this week and um, what, what will you do this week? 
missionally? What, what will you do this week? That Christ left the mountain and he endured the cross so that you and I would enjoy forgiveness and salvation and grace. And I go, what will you do this week? Is there a neighbor that, that you've been itching to get to know that, that maybe you just need to invite them over for supper one night this week? Or maybe you've been talking about spending time with your spouse just in prayer to pray for your family that doesn't know Jesus. What will you do this week? Third thing that I wanna invite us to do is to thank him, to thank him. God has shown us so much about who he is And instead of kicking ourselves for not being perfect, for falling and stumbling, let's thank him for these moments. Let's thank him for what he has shown us. And then spend our day with eyes wide open, waiting for God to show us more of who his son is. Does that sound good? Okay, let's pray.